Hey, I'm Clayton, and this is Men Who Like Men Who Like Movies. Two queer men who love movies, love talking about movies, and after a lot of urging, we started a podcast. It's going to be a little different. It's just uh, me and our guest today. Sean uh, had a little bit of a family emergency, so he is taking this one off, so it'll be a little bit different, but it'll be great. I picked uh, 2014's Wild that Reese Witherspoon was nominated for an Oscar, and I thought it would be a super fun episode, and then I thought about it. (laughs) And I've got a very special guest here today on this one, Mike Didero Didaro. My mind is just blinking on the pronunciation of your last name. Both are actually correct. Um, um, We say Dodaro, but it was, uh, there are Dodaros in Italy that we are related to. Oh, nice. So it both works. I was yeah. right two times in a you row. Were, you were both, yes, both times you were correct. Well, thank you so much for coming to talk with me about this, Mike. Oh, yeah. No, I was super excited when you asked me. Um, and I hadn't seen this movie. But um, ever since I've had kids, I have seen a lot less movies that aren't cartoons. Um, that will happen from what I've yeah. heard. <laughs> um, and that's not a complaint, but... Um, it is a nice. It was a nice change of pace to watch a grown-up film. I bet other yeah. cartoons are wonderful. I watch them quite frequently myself. They are. They're great. Everyone thinks all I watch is horror, but you know, I do throw on Disney cartoons quite often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, uh, quite the. You should like if you did it back and forth. Uh, cartoon horror film. Cartoon horror film. You'd probably start to mess with your psyche i mean my psyche is pretty damaged (laughs) so i feel like it can't do too much more to it (laughs) so you know it'd be fine i'm sure it's fine so wild i saw this movie during the pandemic about a year into my recovery from heroin and obviously it uh spoke to me a little bit (laughs) i yeah And I scheduled this episode, I was talking to you a little bit offline, I scheduled this episode about a year ago, and before I really knew what it would be like to actually podcast about things, and I was like, oh, this will be fun to talk about, I could, you know, I have a personal relationship with this type of material, it'll be fine. And as the date to record grew nearer, I was just like, fuck. (laughs) This is going to be like therapy, except everyone gets to listen to it. Fun. Super fun. But Wild is based on a memoir by Cheryl Strayed about her time walking the Pacific Crest Trail for 8,000 miles after she loses her mother to cancer and gets addicted to heroin and all sorts of fun stuff in her life. And Reese Witherspoon made this movie. Mike, would you recommend Wild to people? Oh, 100%. Um, I will say that I did not... So, I worked at... In 2014, I was working at a bookstore. Mm-hmm. Um, and the movie had come out, and this book... And the book had already been really popular. And all I knew going into this movie was that it was about a woman, played by Reese Witherspoon, who goes on a long hike. Um, <laughs> that... And and so up until a week ago, that was still all I knew, even though I was able to sell that book very easily. But yeah, no, 100 percent 
um uh, i would recommend this movie um it is uh not a it's not a light movie though i would not go i would not go into this um expecting to feel uh good yeah i mean you do feel good at the end it's a, yes absolutely it's a, it's a journey to get there it is it is a hike yes it is it is a hike and you might lose a few toenails Oh my god, that was so hard to watch. I know. I'm like, I watch horror movies all the time, but this type of stuff is disgusting. I can't can't handle it. Uh, yeah, and I, I think there's uh, I think there's something about the like going into a horror movie. You know that it's going to, especially if you know like what kind of horror movie it is. It's yes. going to be it's going to be graphic, but something about knowing that this is real or um, and a lot based of, on, based a lot on of pain real. in horror movies isn't something you would experience as a regular person most likely right but this Losing is possible. A toenail, that can happen yeah yeah it's one of the few things i really cannot handle seeing <laughs> yeah it was it was rough um and is that i forget um so the movie i know and cut me off if i i'm uh getting ahead of myself but the movie is not chronological uh it's hopping back and forth in time is that how the movie opens yes and the movie opens with her losing her toenail and throwing her shoe into the void and screaming fuck that is how we are introduced to reese witherspoon in wild yeah so at this point in the movie i still didn't know that it was a movie about grief and addiction so i'm like oh wow yeah you go on a long hike, that's going to happen to you. And I'm still like grossed out, but I'm still not even prepared Mm -hmm. for what is to come. Yeah. I, so there's another podcast I listened to cover to credits, former guests. They talked about us. They talked to us about up in the air a little while back. They're wonderful. They talk about books and their film adaptations and they did a wonderful episode on this. And did I watch Up in the Air? I think I watched Up in the Air with you. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure we did watch that together at Purdue. Back in 2010. Yeah. Holy yeah. cow. For sure. And they did a wonderful episode on this. And I cannot remember if I listened to the episode before I watched the film. I think I listened to it after. I typically don't listen to things that I haven't either read or seen one of them. And this was on sale on voodoo or something. And I'm a sucker for Oscar nominated performances. Mm-hmm. And I kind of knew what the subject material was, but not to the extent that it would affect me necessarily. And I was just like, I want to see Reese Witherspoon in this performance. Like I'll watch something for a good performance regardless, pretty much. And so I bought it, watched it and was like, Ooh, I want to read this book, but because of my anxiety and stuff, I have a really hard time reading nowadays. And it's really sad because you know how much I love reading. Yes. And I was like, I want to read this book, but I don't know if I can. So I listened to their episode because, you know, they basically told about the book. They're wonderful. Highly recommend. And yeah, it's just really good. And I hadn't seen it again until now. And this episode's probably going to go a little differently because this isn't something you can necessarily break down chronologically. Uh huh. And also. Like, a lot happens, but not really anything happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that is... I know a lot of people don't like that kind of movie. Like, where, I mean, because a good chunk of the movie, she's hiking and things are happening on the hike. But it is... Um, 
it's hard to say that this is a slow movie because it's not no slow. not at all um but you're right a lot happens and a lot doesn't happen yeah it's more little details and a mood and feeling which uh, but i love run that. through this little tiny bit of production that i have it was directed by jean-marc Fally, who i am most familiar with from his wonderful direction of big little eyes and was written by Nick Hornby, based on the memoirs by Cheryl Strayed, like I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, a few little fun facts. Young Cheryl is portrayed by Cheryl Strayed's actual daughter, Bobby. I just read, I just read that. Yes. And uh, a little funny thing, one of the two funny things we might mention during this entire conversation the director would not let Reese Witherspoon read the instruction manual to the tent or the stove, and all of the frustration on screen was genuine. And <laughs> as someone who has tried to put a tent together with directions, I'm so sorry, Reese. <laughs> yeah, that is not easy to do. And I didn't clock this the first time I watched this, but I did today that Cheryl, Cheryl Strait herself is the woman who dropped Cheryl off at the very beginning of the film. I, I didn't I didn't know that because I didn't again I went into this movie blind but I did a whole bunch of reading on it afterward um, mm. and I and I saw that and which was really neat and they show pictures of her at the end of the movie so I wonder mm-hmm. if I were to watch it again I'm if such I a sucker just for that on watching any sort of true story like please give me pictures of the real people yes stuff about um, them I want to see it because I know I know biopics are oftentimes purposefully but um like largely exaggerated and and so i'm like obsessed with knowing okay what in the movie is fiction because real life doesn't fit into a movie versus what actually happened so uh, she has said on this specifically because biopics are you know there's a range on how accurate they are <laughs> Uh-huh. Uh she said it's pretty accurate. The only thing is she didn't have sex with two guys in an alley by a restaurant. Oh, oh, oh gosh. Yeah, because I um I don't know how I would feel then if they added that to my movie. Um I from what I got it was very accurate. She did uh sleep around a lot in that time period. But that specific, like, instance didn't happen. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it wasn't like it was... While she was working as a waitress and these two customers come in. Yeah. It's not like it was inauthentic to the character. Mm -hmm. But, like, that's pretty much the only thing. Yeah. Um, I have so much I want to say that you're bringing up a whole bunch of stuff. um, But I don't know if I've cut you off at any point. So if you wanted... Oh, no. Go for it. So... So that reminded me too. Um, I just, I think where I got hooked into the movie was, and it was early in the movie, but I don't know exactly when. But they're getting that her and her ex husband, or soon, the within hours, soon to be ex husband, are getting the tattoos of the mm-hmm. horse. And um, I don't know what the line was. Horses are important to us, or. Uh, and then they say, well, we're getting divorced today. And the tattoo artist is like, well, can I, you seem pretty cool with each other. Can I ask, why don't you just stay married? And you get the line, uh, well, uh, people who get married tend to get divorced, but people who are divorced tend to stay divorced, mm-hmm. which <laughs> delightfully, delightfully pessimistic. 
Yeah, I greatly appreciate the sentiment. And true. And then he says, like, what? Well, what happened? And and uh, she said, he says, or she says, I cheated on him, or she cheated on me. And he uh, says, Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. I cheated. Yeah. I cheated on him. And the tattoo artist says, "Well, that happens." And she just said, "I cheated on him a lot, a lot." <laughs> and the delivery, the the dialogue there, the de- Reese Witherspoon's delivery of the dialogue. It's so uh, the, honest. Yeah, it's so honest. It's so good. And that's the only scene that tattoo artist is in. And I think I remember him more than any other side character, secondary. There character. are so many side characters. I was going through the cast and I was like, I'm not going to, I'll typically run through the important ones. And this one, I'm like, I don't feel like I need to. They're just tangential to things. Like it's. I think that hits on what you were talking about when you said a lot happens and nothing happens is it's just like, and then this, this little tiny episode and this little tiny episode and this little tiny episode and all of these people she's meeting. And that's, significant even if any one of them alone isn't that important yeah i will say i do have a really interesting quote from cheryl about the meaning of her journey okay the thing about hiking the pacific crest trail the thing that was so profound to me that summer and yet also like most things so very simple was how few choices i had and how often i had to do the thing i least wanted to do how there was no escape or denial, no numbing it down with a martini or covering it up with a roll in the hay. As I clung to the chaparral that day, attempting to patch up my bleeding finger, terrified by every sound that the bull was coming back, I considered my options. There were only two, and they were essentially the same. I could go back in the direction I had come from, or I could go forward in the direction I intended to go. Whew. And so then... But the idea of going backwards is, I know, not literally, but then would imply relapse mm-hmm. back to what I had been doing. And literally, it's where I had come from on the trail. But metaphorically, this would be back to the beginning. Uh, that's heavy. Mm-hmm. Which is this whole movie? I think there's. Yeah, I will dig into that momentarily. I had another quote yeah. I thought was really oh, go interesting ahead. from Reese about why she t- decided to take on a role like this because you know she's not done nudity really. I mean, I think one role she might have really early in her career, but she said, "I think every woman, every actress has many facets to her life. I think no one is just one thing or another. It's real." It's our job as artists to continually push ourselves to try new things and try things that are scary and feel overwhelming and daunting. Not from Reese, but me, like this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And just do it anyway. I think part of thriving and reinventing yourself is just about jumping two feet into a cold pool. And not knowing, I mean, the response to Wild could have been disastrous, you know. But I've been so Mm -hmm. thrilled that people are willing to see me in a different way and are so receptive to it. I think audiences have changed. My audience, for sure, has grown with me. The women who are 20 years old watching Legally Blonde are not 20 years old anymore. They're 35, and they have kids. We can relate to some of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. They've suffered through many life experiences and had many triumphs, so I think it only makes sense that the women that they watch on screen should evolve as well. And I really like that, because I think this is a very brave performance. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. And now at this point, they're almost 45. 
Yes. <laughs> I know. I'm like, this movie just came out. And I'm like, oh, wait, that was <laughs> nine years ago. Oops. Yeah, this this last decade has flown by, mm-hmm. which I think is probably the oldest thing I've ever said. Yeah, the older I get, the faster time goes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Man, I feel like that alone, everything you just said, we could probably spend the entire podcast talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, um, I don't... Uh, I'm trying to think of the we- Reese Witherspoon movies I, I really know. And I would I would say, um, I don't know, um, Legally Blonde, of course, like she pointed out, but also Sing and why am I all of a sudden having a really hard time thinking about? Oh, and then some romantic comedies. Was she in the Mark Ruffalo movie where he was a ghost? Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was. My mom loves that movie. Um, <laughs> really? She was in Cruel Intentions where she met <clears throat> oh, her okay. former husband, Ryan Philippe. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I know her from Sing. That is so funny. I like forget who the voice cast was for Sing until you said that, and I'm like, oh my god, she was. I I actually don't know that I've seen Sing. Um, I I I went um because Sing I think yeah Sing came out before I had kids, um, but Sing too did not. Um, so <laughs> I haven't I've watched Sing too yet. It's in my oh, list, and I'm like, oh, this looks cute. It's so good. It's just an excellent movie. But yeah, so I I don't quite know what I was expecting of her in this movie, but it was really, really heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I know that she's like a really big advocate for producing movies with uh strong female uh. Yeah, this leads. was the first movie she did with her new production company. Okay. Where the Crawdads Sing, Gone Girl, yeah. So again, all of these movies with, with really, really uh, strong women uh, leads. Uh, Gone Girl is so good. One of my favorite adaptations. I just watched that a few nights ago. It's another movie I watched with you. <laughs> it's a good movie. I like it's to watch it with good, people. Yep, it, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I hadn't read it. I read that book right after Mitchell and I had our first large breakup, and it was just wonderful that's exactly what i needed i could see that being um i don't know cathartic it was very cathartic yeah (laughs) yeah a hundred percent so uh this movie basically she decides to walk the pacific crest trail which spans from mexico to canada around a thousand miles for three months after she goes into an understandable tailspin after losing her mother. And could you imagine making a choice like that? And she almost makes it on a whim. To go on this trail? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the way we see that in the movie is, I don't know. Again, I got really, really confused by the timeline. So I, I yes. assume this- she's divorced at this point. Yes, but this she thinks very. She... This movie plays with memory very well, and I had watched Big Little Lies before this, and this is very much like a stylistic thing with the director. The way he films stuff is very specific; like you can tell you're watching one of his films. Okay. And so the first time, also, I was just kind of going with it and piecing it together, you know, as you go, as you will, as I'm sure you did watching this. Uh huh. And so this time. Having all that context, I was like, oh, cool. But I think the way it works is so interesting because when you do remember things, 
It's just in flashes. Uh-huh. And it doesn't always make sense why you're remembering that thing in that moment. And I thought it captured that very beautifully without being confusing. And the things that you're like, I'm not sure the exact order it happened mm-hmm. doesn't ultimately matter. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I'm assuming she is divorced at this point. She yes. is she's pregnant and sees like is this i don't know again i don't it's like even a remember guidebook in a gas station or something yes that is that is what that's how they show that in the movie um am i correct in the scene it's where she thinks she's pregnant and she sees yes. this guidebook okay and then it's her friend who's i forget her friend's name amy maybe amy played by the wonderful indie darling gabby hoffman i don't know her should i'm I know sure her? you do you probably just don't uh-huh. remember but she got <laughs> For instance, she was in Sleepless in Seattle. She's Jonah's little friend that buys in the plane <laughs> no tickets. Yeah, no she is way. in tons of stuff. Um, she was Gabby in HBO Hoffman. show Girls. She's, yeah, all over the indie scene. Okay, I'm looking her up right now. But yeah, she's this, and, and it's that friend who's sending her stuff out into the, while she's on the trails at the different, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, the little Stopping stops points. that she goes to. Yeah. I really liked her in that scene where she's, I don't know, um, this friend who wants to help her friend, but is also tired of her friend who is Mm -hmm. really struggling. Yeah, it's, again, for me, it's complicated because I've been on both sides of that. I was wondering. So, like, I have really bad depression and anxiety, as you know, you've known me since college. and 2010. Yeah. 13 years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, I'm so old. And I've also been really good friends with an addict. And then I became an addict. So, like, I've been on both sides of this. And it is not fun for either of you. Before I was an addict and... My best friend was an addict and being on the other side of that and just dealing with their stealing and all the stuff they were doing. And you're just, you can't comprehend it unless you've been there. Mm -hmm. And I am lucky enough (laughs) to know what that's like. Yay. Would not recommend. Zero out of ten. That's also really hard being in that situation because you know what you're doing. You know how it looks. You know how people see you. And it's humiliating. Like, you can't even comprehend what that feels like. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. man, everybody just thinks you're an absolute piece of shit. And you can't get out of it. And so that scene was just like, yeah, I get it. And my one thing, I think Reese Witherspoon's performance is great. But also, I'm like, she has no idea what being an addict is like at some moment, which, you know, is great. I would not wish that on Reese Witherspoon or anyone. But, yeah, the actual situations and the script and everything really captured it well. It's very true to life. A little hard to watch. It's making me... Everything you're saying is making me think of Beautiful Boy. Have you seen Mm -hmm. Beautiful Boy? I have. I went and saw Beautiful Boy with my addict friend um, when it was in theaters, and oh, that is phenomenal. Timothy Chalamet really is like the biggest acting force of his generation. Oh yeah, I I'm um, not even a Steve Carell fan, and I was just like, wow. 
that's a movie that gets brought up in my film class um, often. Um, every semester, I would say. Someone at some point in the semester brings up Beautiful Boy. And um, I don't know. Um, that It's a little different because that movie is more about Steve Carell mm-hmm. as being the family member of of someone yeah. with addiction. I think it's a wonderful companion piece to this. I mean, do a trilogy, yeah. those two in Requiem for a Dream, and you've just got yourself a depressing day. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, there you go. But... But and you you had said something just now that I've been thinking about for the last few years um, with the the I don't know the national conversation of addiction and the uh, epidemic that we are currently in mm-hmm. with with uh, opiates and uh, whatever. Um, but you said. Uh, knowing from the inside that everyone just thinks you're a piece of shit. So you said something along those lines. Yes. And I, I do, I do. I, I, I hope this wasn't me that I never thought that way. No. About anyone about anyone. But um, I, I, I do think that that is that now that we are aware of how great of a problem this is and how this isn't a commentary on the person struggling with addiction, but it is more of a commentary on the problems that we have failed to fix mm-hmm. for the last 50 years, 60 years, however long. Yeah. And, and movies like beautiful boy and movies like wild, I think have been really helpful for me not having this experience, but as yeah. I had to watch, I had to watch Beautiful Boy as a foster parent, um, as part of my foster parent training. Really? Um, yeah. Well, I was able to. I chose. We uh, we watched three movies, I think, as for our foster parent training to kind of give us, or, or we could read books, and we did read books. We read uh, one. We we read The Hate You Give uh, as mm-hmm. one of our trainings, but to kind of just, I don't know if it's to build empathy or understanding but to show you what other experiences look like, what these experiences that kids in the foster care program um, are coming, the worlds they're coming from. Yeah. And so we watched beautiful boy as one of them. And that was just a really, uh, we watched beautiful boy. We watched instant family and we watched um, justice. Um, it's the Michael B. Jordan film where he's a lawyer. Um, I forget what that's. Oh God. But it has uh captain Marvel in it. Brie Larson. <laughs> Brie Larson, yeah. <laughs> um, I teach film and I'm so bad at actors. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm, I apologize. I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. No, you're fine. But movies like Beautiful Boy and and Wild have been really beneficial for me as a foster parent, um, where I where I have these these children, uh, three of whom I've adopted. Happy Father's Day, BT Dubs. Thank you so much. This is my second official Father's Day. Aww. Uh, or at least my second Father's Day as a legal father. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, which is Mike. weird to say. <laughs> Daddy Mike. Which is weird to say legal father as if it's possible to be an illegal father. <laughs> no, but it's been so beneficial to me uh, to not hate the these people where where my, where my children have come from mm-hmm. where i want to hate them but 
because I love my children so much, I, I want to hate these people. But to know that, no, they, this is actually a much greater problem. This is a problem of yeah. of poverty, of of whatever else. Um, and, and so that these these movies like this have been have been really really great. And it also as a teacher, where I know that this is the world that my students are going mm-hmm. into. That that statistically, a very uncomfortable percentage of my students will struggle with addiction and mm-hmm. and will likely will likely be killed by this yeah it's i think films like this are really important for people to see and on what you were saying feelings are complicated i feel like you could reasonably as a father hate someone while also feeling empathy and understanding it i feel like that would be acceptable and perfectly understandable as a human being yeah and i've i've never had to to worry about poverty i've always had enough and more than enough and when you live in poverty on a teacher salary on a, on a teacher salary <laughs> in this economy uh, <laughs> thank you for that i actually really appreciate that but yeah but i because of because of sort of my trainings i know that that when you live in poverty when you don't know where your next meal is necessarily coming from not that this this these movies weren't really poverty so much wild a movie about grief but but it's it's still i think worth noting your brain doesn't work the the same way as as mine where, where all of my needs are met i'm not worried about survival i'm not even worried about whether or not i'm i i'm loved uh i'm learning a lot about brain science so i i i get to i get to operate in my prefrontal cortex i get to operate in the front part of my brain um a good chunk of the time where people who live in poverty or people who are experiencing some sort of trauma they don't get to their they are struggling to get to the parts of their brain that are going to make safe healthy choices yeah and i mean it is very much systemic and everything and i also have had a fairly charmed life but you know in this all her little moments of being like i'm out of food can i take a shower and people helping her and stuff and oh yeah when i was like i have a wonderful relationship with my parents now it's complicated. Mm-hmm. Everyone has complicated relationships with their parents. Yeah. But comparatively, it's fine. But I will say, you know, when they were pastoring a church and I came out as gay, like, I did get kicked out of the house and mm-hmm. didn't have anywhere to go and was sleeping in my car and, like, asking someone, like, hey, can I take a shower over there? And it's just, you don't know what's that, you don't know what that's like. Like, you can think you would, but you don't. And it just really boils things down to a weird sense of, like, yeah, you're still t- like it's just like a shelter, food, water, like that's all that matters. Yeah, and just taking the risk that oh, this these people are safe because you mm-hmm. don't know that. Um, it, that's making me think of the part in the movie. It's pretty early on. Um, I'm gonna cheat and look at Wikipedia. Um, the character's name was oh, I don't I'm not sure. I want to say it's Frank. 
the guy that has her come back for dinner in a shower with him and his wife. Yeah, I don't know his name. I want to. I'm going to call him Frank. It's probably not sure. Frank. It sounds like Frank. Um, <laughs> yeah, but where he comes across as so threatening mm-hmm. and scary, and she's trapped in the car with him, and he turns out to be just the most decent guy. Mm-hmm. Frank, a farmer who lets Cheryl eat, shower, and sleep at the home he shares with his wife, Annette. Mm-hmm. Um, it is Frank. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He does seem like a Frank. You know, it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, and I know at this point in the movie, she's past that that point of addiction, but it's interesting mm-hmm. that there's a parallel for her, her recovery um, being kind of as dangerous as as when she was addicted uh, when she was was um, on on drugs yeah i mean it's different kinds of dangers but you know even though i'm not a woman and they have to deal with so much mm-hmm. but as a gay man who's not like straight passing there are a lot of times where you're like is this dangerous like if i stop at a rest stop in the middle of the night am i gonna get fucking murdered and right. uh, yes yeah, just all the danger signs, and then we you know when she runs into the people later that are well, those two, those two oh, the two uh, hunters. Yeah, I was so uncomfortable at that part. I was uncomfortable yes. with Frank, and I was just so happy that he turned out to be a really decent guy. Yeah, but I mean, in the end, I mean, she's out in the wilderness by herself, and you know, she's playing a character in her twenties, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, it's scary. I mean, aside from all the physical things, you know, just dealing with nature and hoping you don't get bit by a rattlesnake and die in the middle of nowhere. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and then the the two hunters, that was very near the end of the movie, um, I think. Yes. Um, and the second one comes back, and he's just, I don't even remember what he said. It was almost like, my body gave me a trauma response where I don't get where I'm just not. Remembering. Yeah, I'm like I literally blocked it out. I could not tell uh-huh. you what he said with a gun to my head. Uh huh. But I remember he called her like a liar um, mm-hmm. because she she hadn't left. She was. I mean, she had been in the desert heat for over a day without clean water or without water, mm-hmm. and she finally finds some, and she has to wait thirty minutes to purify it. And then these guys show up, and she has to share her water. She has to choose, like, these guys have guns, and can she has, hasn't had water in 24 hours. It's not like she can yell for help. Like, she is in uh, the middle of nowhere. It's so dangerous. They could take that water from her, and she there's nothing she can do about it. So, and even, like, all the hitchhiking she has to do, like, not safe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Holy cow. And that water looked so disgusting. I know. I was just like, uh, I don't know if I could do it. I've never been that thirsty before. <laughs> yeah. It made me want to go, and I didn't, um, but I, I should have gone and researched. I wanted to research, like, how does water purification work in, like, hiking? I wanted to learn about, okay. Oh, I didn't want to know. I'm just like, this is going to gross me out. Uh-huh. If I'm in this situation, how do I do this? I mean, I just don't want to be in that situation. Nature is fine, but, like, short term. <laughs> I'm going. I'm going camping in a month. Yeah, I prefer, you know, a day hike, you know, yeah, I'll be on a, go I'll out be on for a, a few hours, six, seven miles max, and then you go home Yeah, and uh, shower and get into your nice comfy bed. <laughs> <laughs> Not big on camping. 
I've talked a lot and I've rambled a lot. Was there anything specific that that I glossed over or cut you off on that you wanted to talk about? No, I definitely have other things to talk about, but it's just a loose conversation that goes where it goes. All right, yeah. There were just some interesting things that I thought were cool ideas. And one of the first stops, she writes down, you know, little quotes from books and stuff mm-hmm. at all of her stops. And this wasn't something she wrote down, but she was reading a story one night about Marie Curie and, uh-huh. you know, how she died. And she was talking about how her wounds came from the same source as her power. And. Oh, because she was studying this and that made yes. her famous, but it also killed her. Yes. Yeah. Uh, radiation. I, I know Marie Curie. I know the story, but I don't know specifically what she was studying. Uh, was it just. Right. Radiation? I think it was just radiation stuff, but yeah. I just thought the specific her wounds came from the same source as her power was really interesting as an addict in recovery and what that feels like and just, you know, all the horrible things that have happened still make you who you are and actually make you stronger, oh, yeah. uh, at least in my case, uh, <laughs> hasn't always been that way necessarily, but right you know, right dealing with depression and addiction and everything like i have learned my limits in a way that i definitely would not have otherwise and on the topic of feeling like a piece of shit at one point she literally says in the movie i don't know when i became such a piece of shit oh God, i believe she was yeah, actually she talking to her that. that's when she was talking to uh gabby hoffman's character uh-huh and that was just such a punch in the gut because I stayed out of jail and everything, and, you know, Jordan did not, and uh, we did a lot of sketchy stuff to get drugs, and that's Mm -hmm. all that mattered. Uh, Withdrawal is one of the worst things you can physically go through as a human being, and, you know, you just do anything to not do that, and did I personally steal stuff from anybody? No. Did I know he was doing it and stop him? Also, you know, I couldn't have stopped him, but I didn't try. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I would drive him sometimes. We'd go around to pawn shops as he's selling stuff. Made sure my name wasn't on anything, but still. And there's a lot of times, you know, when you're beating yourself up in recovery and thinking about all the things you've done. And, you know, a lot of the time I'll just be like... You know, I didn't actually do anything to anybody, but that's not the entire truth. And getting to the point where you're okay with that, it's really tough. And so when she said that, and it's one of the things my therapist told me, thank God for my therapist, Amber, if you ever listen to this, you're the best. (laughs) And, you know, it's just like, it happens and there's nothing you can do about it. And... Recovery, again, like I was saying, I didn't think it was going to be this hard talking about it. But that time when you're having to come to terms with everything you've done and you can't do anything to make that go away, you can't just go get high and forget about it and you just have to sit with it It is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do in my entire life. And that fact this movie addressed it at all was just like, oof. My brain keeps jumping to all sorts of ideas that aren't um 
related specifically to doing awful things as a result of being addicted to drugs. Um, and it seems perhaps a little insensitive to compare any of the things. That no, I compare. Bring. I mean, that's it. That's how that's how your brain works. You try to make <laughs> it a is... relationship to make something make sense. That's how it works. And and so I I don't know that I I don't know that I will come up with any like oh that's like, but it is. And again, not to diminish what that's like, that experience is like, but a lot everybody has like oh I did this awful thing for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and it's like how do we move past that and you have to figure out a way you you might not ever be able to make some things okay but you you get to a point with the people in your life and with yourself that um i don't know i'm just thinking about any sort of fight i've had in my marriage with my husband where i've done or said oh i know we had so recently we had our first two foster sons came back to live with us back in May for a couple of weeks. We told DCS that we can buy them a couple of weeks to find them a more permanent uh, foster home because um, it was uh, my oldest foster son. My oldest son, actually, his uh, eighth birthday, I think, is tomorrow, but he um, is developmentally one years old. Mm. And it was just this very, very high stress two weeks. And I said something unintentionally, but I said something just so awful to my husband in this experience where we're trying to take care of five kids, one with, with, um, uh, severe special needs. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then I was just like, well, I just ruined my marriage. Yeah. How do we get past this? There's, I'm like, there's no coming back from this awful thing I said. And it's not addiction. It was a, a traumatic situation, but it was like, okay, well, we have to somehow move forward from this awful thing. And we, we do. I think human beings are capable of that. In yeah. And I mean, addiction Wonderful isn't the ways. thing you necessarily feel shame for, but the things you do. And a lot of it is things that I said when I was really really horrible things so that 100 percent is comparable it might not be something super shady but yeah i mean i've said really nasty things to people and you can't take it back like i've definitely lost friends from it there are people you know once i got clean i tried to reach out that i had gotten help and it's they were just like no i mean you chose heroin and uh, don't want anything to do with me anymore and it hurt, but also, I get it. You know, sometimes you burn bridges that you can't you can't fix, and um, coming to terms with it is just it's rough. I never thought of you know walking a thousand miles to move past it, and of course, I decided, you know, right before the pandemic was a great time, so I got a lot of time for introspection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, um. So, so your experiences happened just before pandemic and your recovery started during the pandemic? So, uh, all of 2019, I was an addict. Okay. Lost absolutely everything and everyone. And my parents were gracious enough to let me move back home after I lost my apartment. Mm -hmm. And so I got clean, like it was literally right at New Year's. 
2020, 2021 or 2020. And, you know, so it was about three months in when the pandemic started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was a big adjustment moving home at this age on top of, you know, losing everything and, on, you know, on your of, best friend pandemic. and your love, like, you know, you're not able to see them anymore and they go to jail and you have to get rid of your pets. And yeah, uh, it was, it was a lot. Was the pandemic then a, a blessing or a curse? Was it helpful? Was it, did it make it harder? Um, In retrospect, I would say it was probably a blessing, but at the same time, you know, because I didn't have a lot of freedom there at first because, you know, there was no trust there for good reason. And so, you know, everybody being stuck inside and kind of getting to experience this as a society rather than just like, oh, it's just me and it can't do anything was probably helpful. But yeah, it was just it was a tough time for everyone. Right. You had uh, you had pointed out you had said this of yourself. You had pointed out that Reese, Reese Witherspoon, Cheryl Strayed says this. I don't know when Andy thinks like a piece of shit. Uh, my friend had texted me today for parenting advice, which and I just said, oh man, I am the worst person to ask this for. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to find exactly what I said. I pointed out, I'm like, you're dealing with this here's how I've dealt with this. And my response was, and I have just never hated myself as much as I hate myself <laughs> for these reasons. Um, and I know at the same time, I'm not giving myself grace. It's a hard, a hard skill to learn. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, Ooh, I'm going to say a cuss. Um, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know me too. Listeners. Um, he never swears. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm just like, oh, I am fucking up my children. Um, I am just you know, that's part of a parent's worst. job. That's part you know? of my job, yeah. 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 Uh, man hands on misery to man. Um, get out as quick as you can and don't hit kids yourself. Um, that's a poem that I like, <laughs> that I don't agree with, but I like. Um, but yeah. Um, and so it's in those moments that I just, I hate myself. Um, and I, and those were the moments that like, I think about in the middle of the night, like, well, I'm just the worst garbage human being ever. Um, and I know that's not true and that's not, you're true. a lovely human being, Mike. Thank you. You're a lovely human being. Thank um, you. And that's not true of people who have done awful things who've experienced addiction. I, I am, I'm thinking about, again, my foster son was just speak, uh, talking about, he was living with us again, three, four years ago. Uh, his mother's out of the picture, but three or four years ago, I was talking to his mother, and she and I, I was paralyzed with what to say to her because the kids the first time had been taken away because I think she was still on some painkillers and, and the kids were thinking they get into the situation, mm-hmm. um, and um, she was just so I was and they got the kids back and we were at the we were at a birthday party and it was August. And she was talking about some awful things that had happened to her kids while they were in foster care with different foster families. And she was she had was holding all of that blame. And I didn't know how to talk to her because I wanted to tell her that it wasn't her fault and it wasn't her fault. But I also knew that that ownership of of 
her choices was important to her and her recovery. Yes, addiction very much is a disease, 150%. But you do make choices to get there. Like, you don't... (laughs) I shouldn't have ever done heroin the first time. I did it because I, initially, I wanted to understand what Mm -hmm. it was like. And I thought I had the self-control to know if I was starting to want it, I could stop. Mm-hmm. And of course I couldn't, and we all know how that happened. But yeah, I mean, everybody makes choices. And, you know, what happens, happens, and you have to live with that, essentially. And yeah, it's tough. And I mean, I would love to say that, you know, I've, you know, I've gone through cancer, five years clean, should never come back. Hopefully, because that was awful. Also, would not recommend that. Again, this movie is just really ticking all the fun boxes for me. And I really appreciated... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to say, I, I like that you reviewed Cancer as uh, would not <laughs> <Yes>. recommend. <laughs> John Green wrote a book. I forget what it's called. It lit up like a Christmas tree, Hazel Grace. Oh, uh, <laughs> not, not that book. But, oh, God. Um, he... Um, he wrote a book where he just reviews things that wouldn't typically get a review, and then he rates it like 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 or something. Uh, like Googling Strangers, he gave, uh, I think, 10 out of 10. And Old Lang Syne, he gave the song Old Lang Syne 10 out of 10. <laughs> That's wonderful. But I, I think I would I would be very interested in reading a short piece of writing by you where you review cancer and then ultimately give it a I 1 should. out of 5. That would actually be really... That sounds like the type of writing that I... Zero stars. At, so, yeah. oh, sorry. But you're, go ahead. You you were saying. Um, so, uh, honestly, my life is ridiculous. I should write a memoir. You should uh, write a memoir. <laughs> uh, quote that Laura Dern's character, who plays her mother in another Oscar-nominated uh, a performance, God, I can't Lord believe we haven't talked so about amazing, her yet. Right? She's incredible. So good. Gosh dang, incredible. Yeah, and her, after she finds out she has cancer, being like, I was never me. I was always a mom or a wife. And that also is just like, mm, I get that. When I got diagnosed with cancer and I wasn't even 30 yet, it was just, I mean, honestly, my first reaction, I laughed. My father can attest to this. I laughed when I heard I got cancer because at that point, it was just like, of course I've got cancer. Mm-hmm. But it is. It's frustrating. It's like I never got to do anything I wanted to do. I'm never going to figure out who I am. And, you know, even now sometimes it's just like I feel like I'm just now, like literally within this past year, figuring out who I am and what I like and the type of people I want to be around and what I want to do with my life. And, you know, again, the pandemic and getting clean really makes you dig deep. Really does, yeah. It's, you know, it sounds like you, it. <laughs> you learn what matters most to you in the world, and uh, God, this movie is so hard to watch. Sometimes I <laughs> really was dreading it. It was a very rewarding experience, but good. Yeah, that I was never me. It was just oh, I get it. That is so rough. And I can't believe we've been talking for an hour and we're just now mentioning Lord. I know, like uh, she's the impetus for everything that happens. Uh huh. Yes. Um, I think grief is so fascinating, and I think it shows up mm-hmm. in the weirdest ways. It does. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I tell this story to my students. I give them a list of 200 and 
213, 205, I don't know what the number is, 200 some thematic ideas. Um, and I tell them you can choose a random idea on here and we can apply it to anything. Uh, and I said, but if you want me to, if you want me to talk for a really, really long time, uh, and not get to any sort of assignments, just pick whatever number grief is, because I'll talk to you forever about grief. Um, and then I tell them a really long story that I'll tell in three seconds here. Uh, not the long <laughs> story. I'll tell, I'll condense it to three seconds, but the punchline of the story I tell them is that we don't get to tell people how to grieve. Mm-mm. We don't get to to tell them what their grieving process looks like, and I and 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 I'm not a, a medical professional, so I I I should probably put an asterisk on this. I said so, with the exception of maybe uh, hurting yourself or other people, um, we don't get to tell people how to grieve, um, and and so her way wasn't healthy, but but this this. Um, and I'm it's very if, understandable, though. Oh my gosh, incredibly understandable. And then her 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 decision, her seemingly random decision to walk the eight thousand miles or whatever it was, um, the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, that's her way of grieving and and recovering, and and she is doing that. Um, there was when she was talking on the phone to her ex husband. Um, there was an exchange between them. Um, he's like, because you need to walk 8,000 miles in order to. And then she says, go ahead and finish it. He like cuts yeah. himself off. And she's like, what was he going to say? I don't know. He didn't finish it. But I mean, it could, to get clean. To yeah, it could have meant, the death of your mother. Could have meant a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, grief. Grief is weird. And again. You know, when her and her brother have to shoot this horse that meant so much oh, to their mother. God. My cat. You met my cat, Quentin. I um, did. I did. He died Fluffy around last... guy. Yeah. He died last Christmas. And I had to make the decision to put him to sleep. Oh. And it was the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. Worse than, <laughs> worse than getting clean. Worse than cancer and chemo. Mm-hmm. Hands down the worst. Uh, again, it's a really fun movie. I can't, and... I can't talk <laughs> on... I can't talk on cancer. I can't talk on addiction, but I can talk as a pet owner. Yes. Um, I believe that. I believe that. I mean, for months afterwards, I would be like, I killed my best friend, even though it was the kind thing to do. Mm-hmm. And and that's what her mom says. That's what Laura Dern says. Do the kindest mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, do the kindest thing. Um, and I had missed up until they had to kill the horse. That, that was what that was about. <laughs> what do you think they needed her to smother in her sleep i don't know i don't know what i was thinking I'm like why is she saying that i hadn't realized the horse was sick until they showed all those like yes sores on on, on him on her um i will oh say it random cancer tangent the one thing mm-hmm. the one thing i was looking forward to i was like man at least i'll get really skinny on chemo the drugs now are so good I didn't lose any weight. <laughs> I was just oh like, the one thing, the one bonus for this. Yes, I joke about cancer. It's uh, that's I'm a, dark. Yeah, well, that's, a, co- that's a coping mechanism. <laughs> that's a, a perfectly reasonable coping mechanism. You know, mechanism. once you have a, however many suicide attempts and you've gone through cancer and gone through addiction, at some point you just have to laugh about it because I'm really hard to kill. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm, I'm pulling up Laura Dern quotes from Wild and talking about making light of awful 
terrible situations. When she's dying of cancer, she says, I always wanted a room with a view. And she's yeah. in a hospital room with with a view. Yeah. It it makes you Yeah. Cancer. On the subject of Wild, when she's getting near the end of the trail, has encountered all these people help a lot helpful, some otherwise. Which again, you know, I've experienced that random kindnesses from people. And a lot of the time, I'm I'm fairly a pragmatic, realistic, pessimistic person. And a lot of the times, I'm just like, people suck. Humanity is over. Let the orcas take over. We're done. <laughs> but, you know, there's these moments that you're like, oh, people aren't all entirely pieces of shit. And no. see you as just another human being and not someone who is less than. Even those three boys on the trail, um, that were like they were so fun. They, they were so I fun. was like, man, go hike with them for a few days, and and they were like so supportive of her. And she is going through like this. Um, she had this like crazy awful drug addiction, and her mother died, and there was that whole horse thing, and. Her divorce, <laughs> divorcing your husband, having to have an abortion, an abortion, and all these awful things, and they're like, your quotes made me realize, like, ah, oh, this girl who broke my heart, and it was so like, oh, you boys don't even know, mm-hmm. you're just, and then I, I, I'm using boys, uh, we're old enough, they're really. boys, they're like college I, yeah, students, they're children. Well, I'm using, I'm using boys to to meanly in, in a not nice way to kind of put them like oh you are boys you don't mm-hmm. even know what she has gone through and mm-hmm. what those quotes mean to her yours is like your first heartbreak which is significant to them and, it is and not to it's that. a significant moment um <laughs> but but that i don't know that the juxtaposition i guess between the their experiences and her experiences uh-huh. were. It's very funny. I, it is. <laughs> and uh, when she's nearing the end of the trail, I thought it was very interesting how she said, I'm terrified for it. Like, she's so ready for it to be done, but also at the same time, I'm terrified for it to be over. I'll have mm-hmm. to start living. Yeah. And, uh, oh boy, can relate. Um, I don't think I can uh, but I understood the concept of, oh, this right here is the, uh, I don't know, purgatory? That seems mm-hmm. wrong. Uh, the the in-between? Yes, the in-between space. <laughs> um, and I think in-between spaces show up in all parts of life. But, mm-hmm. but from going from what she went from, from what she was walking away from that sounds like the wrong way to put that but to what she was going to yeah if this wasn't a true story i would be like this metaphor is so heavy-handed <laughs> yeah yeah right <laughs> oh god yes but i think that's why i'm really really digging the the metaphors here and the all the ways my brain's like oh well even though my experiences are nothing like this i think i understand this mm-hmm. I'm really digging on an that. intellectual level, yes. Yeah, on an on an intellectual level, yes. But yeah, I mean, during the early stages of recovery, I mean, that was my entire life. That's all I was focusing on 
getting through the day without absolutely losing my fucking mind and not using. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were a few slip ups early on, but eventually it got easier and I did have to go on with my life. I couldn't just, well, just make it through the day. You know, that's, that's no way to live. And that's kind of how you have to live for a little yeah. while. And, you know, I wasn't in a rehab. I was just at home in a pandemic <laughs> and <laughs> trying to survive. And, you know, I've always really loved having a lot of people around. And I just always have for forever. I hate being alone with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. And I was just stuck by myself. And uh, it was terrifying thinking about moving out of that, like, absolute base, like, needs met, safety, survive this. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And moving out of that and like, what are you going to do with your life is scary. My poor therapist like has to hold my hand through everything. And uh, I mean, I'm so happy I finally did. I'm just now finally doing something I really love. Good. Yeah. How often do you see your therapist? Um, I see her about every two weeks now. Every two weeks. I don't sure. always need to, but yeah, she's, I've been seeing this one for seven years. She brought oh. that up the other day and I was like, oh my God, I've known you longer so- than like half of my friends. <laughs> She has been with you from before your addiction. Yeah, she has been with me since before my addiction, since before cancer, since, uh, yeah, Um, I've seen her since. I was just reading something on the importance of a relationship between a therapist and a patient and like what, what is happening in that relationship. And I, that, that is incredible. That has to be. Yeah. Is it like the thought of she moved to Texas recently and uh-huh. Do you I see her like, virtually then? Yes. I was mm-hmm. like, if I have to get a new therapist, like I don't even want to do it. Yeah. Because you've established such a relationship and such trust at that point. Wow. The thought of starting over just was like, I don't even wanna and like I don't know how she's still doing it in Texas, like legally, but I don't care. Can I make a, <laughs> can I make a joke about therapy? Yes. Therapy so, jokes are wonderful. Uh, this, this is a true story. Um, I ghosted my therapist. Um, Mike. After, I did. She helped me with my conflict avoidance issues, and I didn't need her anymore, so I ghosted her. So you avoided the conflict? <laughs> yeah, I did, 100%. That is exactly what I did. She did a bang-up job. <laughs> she did. She did. No, and, and, I, and I am honest about every aspect of that. She actually really helped me with conflict avoidance. Uh, it wasn't, oh, perfect. I have, it wasn't uh, perfect. I have issues with that as well, but I have gotten better. So yeah, I know. had this really great moment. Um, I, I had a I had a student teacher. It was a rough experience. He really good guy, um, but it was a rough experience. And at one point, I had to directly say like, "Hey, man, if you don't do A, B, and C, I can't protect you from what happens next." Mm-hmm. And I, and then I walked away, and I'm like, "Oh my god, therapy works." I, I wish everybody had access to therapy. Ago. I think the I world agree. would be such a better place if people I just had to... access to mental health stuff. Yes. Just having somebody that's completely unbiased to go just talk about your shit with <laughs> is so nice because everybody in your own life is going to have a bias of some sort to some extent. And yeah, I cannot advocate for therapy enough. So I think I've talked about everything I wanted to talk about with this movie, except for one thing. Oh, I had two things left. So what's your one thing? Okay, cool. I wonder if one of mine is the same. Um, I wanted to talk about the little boy at the end of the trail. 
uh um one of my things was from that yes yeah um uh is is that because i know that's towards the end of the trail is that the last thing you wanted to talk about or is now a good time to talk uh about no that was the one that's a perfect time to talk about it right now mm-hmm. all right let's do it it was my second to last so i the song he sings her red river valley okay I just, so the implication is the implication there that his, she says he's walking with his grandmother and he asks about something and she mentions that his her mom is dead. Mm-hmm. Is the implication that his mom is dead too? Um, I thought maybe a little bit, but not strongly enough that I was sure. Yeah, I wasn't sure because he's with his grandmother, and I w- I don't know. I just I thought, and maybe that wasn't the case, but let's say that it is how powerful that had to be for this for her to so honest to be so honest with this little boy who is a stranger Mm -hmm. and she delicately tells him oh my mother's dead and then he sings this song to her and the lyrics are and she breaks down and cries i think yeah after he walks away she just falls Uh down on the trail and sobs I yeah, and I thought he was so cute when he sang, and I thought his grandmother was so sweet. That boy was absolutely precious. Oh my gosh! I famously but... like hate children. But I was like, <laughs> he's really cute. <laughs> I um, love covering a horror movie when a child dies. I'm just like, yes, I had the balls to kill oh a kid. <laughs> Sorry, I'm sure your children are wonderful, Mike. <laughs> no, they they are. They're beautiful and monsters and perfect, and they're so mean, and I love them so much, and they're the best thing that's ever happened to me. See, this is why, again, you don't know how your life's gonna go, and, like, years back, people would have, like, sworn I was gonna end up marrying you one day, and I me? decided not to have children. Yes. <laughs> they were like, you guys are so cute. And oh, I decided not I... to have children because of my depression. I was like, if I, you know, have some sort of them with myself, I don't want to pass that on if it's genetic. And two, you know, no matter how good of a handle I have in my depression, I don't want to get to the point where I couldn't be a good dad to my kids because of my depression. So I made the choice to remove that situation from my life. So it works out. There's so much I want to say to that. Um, one, I, uh, I, I, I never did commitment. I broke up with almost everybody um, after mm-hmm. at least a month. Same. I, I always <laughs> say that I'm, I'm, I'm so good at first dates. I love first dates. You are good um, on first dates, Mike. Yeah, but I, I, I Lionel hates when I say this, but I, I, I told him, thank you. Um, <laughs> um, I, lo- <laughs> I, I love first dates. I hate second dates. Um, but I broke up with Lionel after a month, like I always do. And, <laughs> Classic. And he, and he hates that I say this. I'm like, yeah, but he tricked me into getting back together with him. And I, and I say that that way, but it's also exactly what I needed. Otherwise, yeah. I was just going to keep doing that. But he's like, you're right, blah, 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 blah. I could use a friend. And I'm like, yeah, I could use a friend, too. This is the best breakup of my life. <laughs> let's, go get, <laughs> let's go get a drink. And we got a drink. And then he came over the next day and he made dinner. And we never really broke up. And um, now you're married with kids. And now we're married with three kids. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. But um, there was, uh, I, wish I, I wish I knew who it was. There's some politician. I was listening to him on the radio. And he was just like in his like freshman term in Congress. Um, uh, Senate House, I don't know. Um, and like a month into his political career, he checks himself into a mental health facility um, because he has just such extreme depression. And 
and he's on the radio a few months later after he's he's recovering from depression and he's in tears and he's talking about the hardest part of it was when his when he was talking to his kid and he's just he's incapable of, of parenting in this moment because he's just paralyzed by his depression mm-hmm. and and his kid says to him i just don't know why i'm not good enough mm. That's that you can't be happy and the kid is internalizing this and he's, i know and it's mm-hmm. not the kid's fault no and and it's not the man's fault but i i kids are resilient and i think yes that that his kids will understand and his kids absolutely will understand someday. yeah and i know kids would understand but i was like that would also give me so much guilt about mm-hmm. it mm-hmm that would just be another thing to keep on my head to deal with. And I just like try to keep things as streamlined as possible for myself. Uh, I've learned that the less things that you have to feel guilty about, whether they're real or not. And a tip my therapist taught me that actually is quite well about dealing with irrational thoughts mm-hmm. are take a piece of paper, write down like the thought you're having, and then write down the evidence on either side of what supports or doesn't support that. Interesting. And then you have no choice but to be like, okay, obviously, like, this is irrational. Like, all the evidence is not, yeah, it's a wonderful tip. Absolutely wonderful. And after a while, you can just do that immediately in your head after you retrain your brain. Retrain your brain. Yeah, it is possible. It's hard work, mm-hmm. but it is possible. It's, it's I, I agree. Uh, 100%. I love that throw my thing that I was going to say about this scene with the child was that she told they were talking about having problems and she tells him that problems don't stay problems. They turn into something new. uh, Cheryl Strayed says that to the boy. Yes. And I thought that was absolutely beautiful and honest and hit me in the feels a little bit. (laughs) Uh huh. Am I crazy to think that these song lyrics are about her mother dying? from this valley they say no i do not think you are crazy uh john mark valley all of his stuff has extremely intentional song choices uh-huh. like watching big little lies i'm like eyes. what was the song budget for this thing <laughs> the last thing i wanted to mention is there's some voiceover from reese witherspoon as cheryl that i assume is a direct quote from the book as she at finishes the end the about mm-hmm. at that same spot yeah yeah, and I just wanted to read that because Yeah, go ahead. Please. I think it's I think it's important. There's no way to know what makes one thing happen and not another. What leads to what? What destroys what? What causes what to flourish or die or take another course? What if I forgive myself? What if I was sorry? But if I could go back in time, I wouldn't do a single thing differently. What if I wanted to sleep with every one of those men? What if heroin taught me something that if all those things I did were the things that got me here, what if I was never redeemed? What if I already was? And I have had pretty much every single one of those thoughts. Maybe not all the men. I've never regretted them. But but I just thought it was so powerful. Like It's like you get this release at the end of the story. That everything's going to be okay, no matter how bad things have gotten. And I needed to hear that sometimes. Um, 
I just started crying for the first time on my podcast. <laughs> Fun. <laughs> ah, I'll laugh a lot on the next one. But I just think this is a really powerful story. It's important for people to see stories like this, to understand. You know, that's one of the things I love about film and stories in general are the ability to make you empathize and see other ways of life that you wouldn't otherwise experience. And I just think it's really beautiful. I do too. Um, I'm going to go full teacher on you, though, for a second and say, you have such a good reading voice. Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, I always enjoyed though? reading aloud at school. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was that that the that end voiceover what you read. I thought was um, movies take a lot of sad movies take a lot out of me. We went and saw La La Land together. We did back in New Year's Eve, whatever year that was. Um, 2015, I think. I like uh, literally just did a thing on Twitter. It was like, your favorite movies of the 2010s. And so I picked like my favorite one from each one, and that was my... And I didn't know that was a sad movie. It's beautifully sad, though. (laughs) But, yeah, so like the tone of a movie takes a really big toll on me. I broke up with my first boyfriend because he made me watch... um, Oh, what's the Jake Gyllenhaal rabbit movie? Oh. (laughs) Uh, Donnie Darko. Donnie Darko. And it just, that movie was so depressing and dark. I was depressed. Yeah. (laughs) And so this movie was taking a like, and I was fine. Um, But this movie was taking its toll on me like, like movies, like movies do. Um, and we get to that quote, and it was like, yes, life is painful. And everything she said, though, is, is I'm like, yes, it, it is. But also, there's good, and mm-hmm. you have to have both. And Yeah, if all of that hadn't happened, and I hadn't had to move home, and then pandemic, and stuff like I know it's stupid, but it's a just like my stupid little podcast. But I get to talk to people who love the same stuff I love and really cool people that I look up to. I got to talk to the director of my favorite horror movie a few weeks ago. <laughs> That's like, fantastic. I it's yeah, just and- it's crazy. Like I would not be doing this right now if every single one of those things hadn't happened in exactly that same order with the, exactly the same outcomes. And you know, then she followed up. You know, it's like four years from now, I'd be getting married. Mm-hmm. Right down there where I finished this trail. Nine years, I'd have, you know, two kids. Mm-hmm. One of them I name after my mother. It's just like, life goes per- on. And it was it a beautiful it's just, ending. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what you're doing with your life. You are living your life. And you are living mm-hmm. it beautifully with this podcast. This podcast is you living your life. You take it very seriously. You call it your silly little podcast. And maybe to most and most anybody, it might be a silly podcast. I'm not going to say that though, because it's not. Um, oh, thank you. But but regardless, to you, it is serious, and and that is you living your life. Um, and that's awesome. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's literally I, the first time I've ever been like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, uh, and, it felt like my <laughs> I just clicked with myself, and yeah. So, um, and how many episodes no in regret. are you? This is episode 55. 55. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I look forward to episode 155 and 1055. I have 5, everything scheduled to the end of 2024. 
Yes. Good. Going forever. Good. Forever. Um, I'm so, so happy do you have for you. Any thoughts? Uh, any final thoughts on Wild before uh, we rate this thing? Um. No, I we hit uh we hit everything. Um, kind of I'm like looking at those song lyrics again to see like if I could pull any sort of metaphors, but no, I think I'm good. Yeah, I usually take copious notes for movies, like really detailed notes before an episode, and I did not on this. I literally wrote down one, two, three, four, five, like seven things, seven things. That was it. And as far as my final thoughts on this. Yeah, I've talked about everything other than what I will say in my rating. So since you're the guest, out of a score of five, what would you give this? One being the lowest five, or, you know, zero, I guess, technically being lowest and five being the highest. So I make my film students do exactly this. Um, and As you I should. Get, as get I them should. On the, uh, get them on the letterboxed rules. Yeah, but now I feel like... Um, I am the victim of my own mean assignment. Um, <laughs> I like most things, um, and I, I tend to to rank things maybe a little higher than than everybody else. Um, but out of five, I am easily giving this a five out of five. Um, wow! I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have even said. Um, I shouldn't have even said that. Um, I tend to rate things high um i shouldn't have said that because this deserves an un uh this deserves a full confident five out of five this movie um and if i respect speci- it specifically for um specifically for the reasons we talked about when we we're talking about this movie and beautiful boy um that it is important um that it is a story that people need to hear because this, the drug, the drug problem in our country is, was for the first time in, or for the last like four or five years, U.S. life expectancy is going down because of the drug problem. Yeah. And, and, and these stories humanize people that we have a tendency to dehumanize. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also incredibly well done. I think Reese Witherspoon the, the the movie is incredibly honest. It's uncomfortable, um, for all the reasons we've mentioned, uh, from the very beginning of pulling off toenails to the awful things that Cheryl Strayed had, had done, um, for for whatever reason. But yeah, so much of this movie sticks with me. I watched it over a week ago, and I I have probably thought about it daily. Yeah, from my own end. I don't necessarily enjoy this movie, but I do agree it's very important. For instance, one time I was in the hospital from an overdose from heroin, and I got treated like shit from the hospital staff, and it was the first time that's ever happened to me. Like, I've had to go to hospitals a lot for things, and just because, you know, I was an addict, like, I'd never been treated like that before, and... It was kind of eye-opening and like, oh, wow, you know, whenever you call somebody like a junkie or whatever or a crackhead, like, those are people that they don't want to be like that. Nobody just wakes up and is like, oh, man, I wish I was a heroin addict and, like, 
living out of my car and stealing stuff from my family to sell for drugs, you know, to just get through the day. And I also, you know, the opioid, I would love to be able to just be like, oh, after I had surgery on my lungs for cancer, I got addicted to pain pills and that's why I got on the heroin. But that's not. I made a choice because of a boy I liked. You know, it was my own decisions and I've had to make peace with that and I still struggle sometimes. And so while, you know, on an enjoyment scale, I might give this like a four. I agree. It is excellently done. The performances are amazing. Laura Dern is just absolutely heartbreaking. Laura Dern. (laughs) Laura Dern. God bless you. Absolute treasure. And Reese gives such a brave performance. And I just think it has a lot of really interesting things to say. It's not necessarily an easy watch, but I do agree. It is an important watch. So I will also totally sign off on giving this a five. I agree. Awesome. I don't have anything negative going into this. Before we had discussed it, I was planning on giving it a four. But yeah, after discussing it, I can't give it anything lower than a five. You are 100% right. Awesome. On a budget Thank of you. $15 million, this did all right. It made a $52.5 million back, so a decent little return on investment. The people on Letterboxd do not agree with us on our five stars. This has an average Letterboxd score of 3.6, but famously, the best films of all time on Letterboxd have a 3.9 because people are assholes. So, <laughs> you know, a 3.6 on Letterboxd is still respectable. Okay, okay. Mike... I, uh, but I'm not sure how you, uh, active you are on the socials. If you want to share, um, your Twitter or anything, I feel like I haven't oh. seen you on there in forever. Yeah, I'm not, I, I've been really, really bad about social media since becoming a dad, but, um, I'm grown up Mike on Twitter. I have been grown up Mike since, uh, forever. Early since January, Twitter started. <laughs> since just, since just before I met you. Yeah. And like I Twitter got started. Twitter basically right around that time so january 2010 was when i created my twitter account Mm -hmm. Uh, mine was at the beginning of 2011 and you were one of the first people i followed (laughs) and have ever since yeah and i think that's really um that's really i have a facebook but i think that's really my only social media i mean twitter is the most entertaining social media anyway yeah and uh, if you want to find my podcast on the socials we're on twitter instagram facebook just search the podcast you'll find it i am on twitter and letterboxd at just happy to see you number two letter c letter u um if you want to find sean who is not here today on twitter and letterboxd he is murph the smurf m-u-r-p-h-t-h-e-s-m-u-r-p-h and if you want to email us about your thoughts on anything or stuff you want us to do our email is men who like men who like movies pod at gmail.com super easy to remember and not at all annoying to type (laughs) yeah next time sean and i will be discussing the bay which i have never seen so i hope it's good if you like the pod the best way you can help is rate and review rate and review the podcast you like it helps so much it's stupid how much it helps but yeah give us a five-star rate that'd be awesome it'll make us feel good and as we have discussed ad nauseum today be kind to people empathy People are going through hard stuff, and life sucks. It really does. Mike, thank you so much for coming to 
getting into this super light material with me. <laughs> super light. <laughs> I uh, thank actually you for posted me. on Twitter before we started recording. I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be like more torturous than therapy. Me and vulnerability does not go together. And someone was like, I hope you're safe with whoever you're talking with. And I'm like, yeah, it's Mike. I can talk to him about anything. It'll be fine. And it was relatively painful or painless, relatively painless. Jesus. <laughs> can't talk at this point but i'm glad you helped me unpack this and being kind and wise and sensitive and empathetic as you always are go put your kids to bed have a wonderful rest of your father's day and next time you come on here we'll talk about something fun (laughs) all right i I will hold you to that thank you for having me it has been an honor and a pleasure all right bye everybody see you next time bye